Happy New Year, listeners. Happy New Year. Uh, you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com and you're listening to The Bookworm, presented through FabRadioInternational.com and Starburst magazine. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with producer Al. Hello. So on the show, we've got a fair amount of book news, as you've probably gathered, to get through. And we also have book reviews as well. So it's boot news, and I think we should really get into the the big news story. Shall we do that first? Yes. Okay, so publishers unite to condemn a Charlie Hebdo attack. In case you've been asleep, um, uh, a bunch of nutters uh, <laughs> turned up and killed a bunch of satirical cu- uh, cartoonists in uh, in France, in Paris. So the uh, Charlie Heb- Hebdo... Um, Charlie isn't Charlie Brown, by the way. Mm. Um Charlie Hebdo is a satirical magazine. It's always been on the the slightly more risque side of things, shall we say? Um, it lives to offend, or it lived to offend, and a bunch of more more risque than Viz, I believe we discussed the other day. Yeah, much more risque. If you're familiar with Viz magazine, which is quite rude, Charlie Hebdo is you know it's certainly on the the wrong side of being nice at parties. Um, <laughs> Further closer to the Cards Against Humanity style of humour than anything else. Um, fairly dark, always living to offend. Um, lovely picture of their, their classic Charlie Hebdo ca- character having a, a smooch with a um, terrorist. Um, this offended idiots who, well, evil morons, I think that's the best way to describe them. And they went on a, a murderous rampage. Um, Twelve people lost their lives. Obviously, our hearts and sympathies go out to their families. Um, this is this is a bit of a weird one because obviously we are in um, my my one of the many hats I wear is I'm a sequential arts editor for a magazine called Starburst, um, and you know the the day of the attack was a day full of people going, oh my goodness, and you know that that sort of thing. It was very very weird, shall we say, very strange day, and um, obviously quite horrible. Um, <sighs> The, the obvious response. Um, Ashim Salabi, or president of the Arab Publishers Association, condemned this vicious attack that contravenes principles of Islam and uh, the message of its prophet. Um, for example, the French Publishers Association said that freedom of expression, creation, and publishing are the absolute principles that booksellers, like all those who are attached to democracy and fundamental rights, are more than ever determined to defend. Um, SNE, which is Syndicate National Edition, which is French Publishers Association, um, also paid homage to the cartoonists who died in the attack. Um, Limey, it's just it's just an incredibly hard thing to to even discuss. I think, and uh, obviously, English Pen have responded. Um, we are big fans of English Pen. Uh, Pen is an international charity that is all about freedom of expression. Um, so it, this is the second time it's been um, attacked for its um, publication of 
things related to the Prophet Muhammad. You, you don't respond with violence. You absolutely. In, in 2011, they were essentially firebombed. Uh, a cynic, being a cynic, and we try and avoid politics on the show, but being a cynic, a cynic would point out that if you. One of the things, one of the characteristics of France, of course, is that France is quite secular. Yes, very secular. And France, France, is, France is very secular for various historical reasons, but also. That applies to to every every one of race, colour, and creed. If you spend enough time in France, you you develop the the French approach to life, uh, and the French way of living is to look at faith and look at faith and go, well, that's something that you should deal with on your own terms, mm. and to look at organised religion and essentially go, meh. Um, up to this point, the kind of you know the extremists haven't had much penetration into France. Um, France has France has always been quite cautious by the fact that it's not had much penetration, and then this hate group turns up and commits an atrocity, and the right wing starts rubbing its hands and starts condemning it, and you can't help but think that this is exactly you know terrorists want to spread terror. This is spread terror, so the correct the, the thing they want you to do is be afraid. Just don't be afraid. Be angry. But don't respond on the logic of fear. Don't respond on your your, your anger or your fear. Surely, surely this is obvious. Um, you know, they call themselves a terrorist. They want to cause terror. So don't be terrified. Be something else. Be rational. But it's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to say when we're in a nice, safe, safe office in Manchester as well, miles away from it all. So yes, so we thought we'd get through that. Um, obviously, if you want to know more, then it's all over the news. If you uh, and there is a Wikipedia article, of course. If, if if you care about freedom of expression, and of course you do, um, go and have a look on the English Pen website. There are there's stuff happening all over the world where people who should have the the, the basic human right to express themselves don't. Um, and there's various campaigns there that you should look into and get into. Um, Shall we go for more cheerful stuff? Let's. Okay, Titan Books and an NBA star, a chap called Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, an NBA all-star, all-star and author, has written a Sherlock book, a Sherlock Holmes-inspired novel. Um, and is and that fanfic? Yeah, basically. A uh, fanfic that dare not speak its name because if it's Sherlock, somehow miraculously it's not fanfic, despite the fact that it's always fanfic. Um, the novel titled Mycroft Holmes focuses on Sherlock's older brother who is working for the British government straight out of university um, sounds great <laughs> to be honest um, I'm not sure why I'm not sure why we're supposed to care that someone who does basketball is writing a book but there's a there's a, there's a, a raft load of debut novels in the new year uh, um, apparently the first quarter is dominated by, by debut authors well, Apparently. well, coming up soon, I'll be reviewing a debut novel. And, oh my Ooh. god, um, it's not a nice review, I'm afraid. Sorry, sorry, everyone. But anyway, um, Eggman have required Mel Foster and the Demon Butler, which is just a great name. Uh, a middle grade adventure story set in Victorian London. Of course, it is. Uh, Julia Golding has written it. Do you really like Julia Golding? She is fab. Um, the book, which is about an orphan who takes on Queen Victoria's evil butler. I like evil butlers because I really want the butler to have done it I I think the butler has always done it I think there's a global conspiracy of butlers causing all sorts of chaos Um, 
Arthur Macken collection in, um, I forgot where it is. Don't Newport. It? In Newport. Newport. Um, in Newport is under threat. Uh, if you don't know who Arthur Macken is, well, we can't blame you, but shame on you anyway, because we're being <laughs> smug about it. Uh, Arthur Macken is one of the people who's responsible for the revival of the Welsh language. There you go. Uh, and he's also um, one of the masters of horror. He's responsible for a whole raft of short stories and novels about really, really spooky stuff. If you're familiar with the phrase "er er Cthulhu Fatagan," and why wouldn't you be? Then you you understand the basic and uh, basic word of Aklo. Aklo is a fictional language of of the occult of the subterranean of the wrong. Uh, Arthur Macken invented Aklo for his works. Um, he also contributed to Welsh, which always gives me a bit of a chuckle. But yes, this this strange and foreign-sounding um, occult language, Aklo, has been used in the past by the likes of Brian Lumley and Alan Moore in their works. Uh, it's a popular part of the Cthulhu mythos. Um, anyway, Alpha Macken's work is under threat because Newport Council doesn't have any money anymore because they keep closing all the libraries. I think we should talk about libraries in our bit at the end because there's quite a lot of stuff happening. Okay. Um, we should definitely talk about libraries and... Oh. Yes, so so this is a happy hello, gentle listening. We always assume you're gentle. It's Sunday, you're probably hungover. So... I'm going to be reviewing The Red Queen, or just Red Queen, by Victoria Aveyard. Um According to the, the splendid blurb in the book, it's a debut novel by a, a young author writing young adult fiction. And, my goodness, Universal Pictures have already re- acquired the rights. You can kind of tell why. Um, this um, is on the back, it goes, uh, for, for fans of Divergent and The Hunger Games... Um, also, for fans of the selection and gracing, um, if if you liked Bit of Blue, and spoiler alert, I didn't. Um, I've not heard of either of those last two, I've got to be honest. Uh, the, the selection is. Uh, the selection and Graceling are both fantasy versions of um, Legally Blonde. Oh. Short version. Oh. Very, very short version. And I'm I quite sure, like Legally Blonde. And uh, I'm sure someone's screaming, ah, yes, but unfortunately, uh, whereas in uh, Legally Blonde, Legally Blonde, the main character is actually quite, uh, you know, quite strong and has, you know, a, a good sense of identity. In these books, the characters don't. And, uh, oh. And I'm sure someone's yelling at the radio right now and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're totally wrong. No, I'm not. I'm completely right. Um, so, Red Queen is the story of May Barrows, a 17-year-old girl who lives in a futuristic dystopia. Can you see what it is yet? Oh, that's a little bit Hunger Games. It's a little bit Hunger Games. The superhuman silvers rule with a fist of iron. Mare is a red, a normal human who is about to be constructed into a pointless war. Still a little bit Hunger Games. A little bit, a bit, little bit uh, divergent. Hmm, a little bit <laughs> divergent. I wonder. Mare discovers that she has the power of electricity and this changes everything. Oh, really? Power of electricity. Yeah, she can throw lightning around. It's really cool, actually. Okay. Um, essentially, uh, it all goes horribly wrong. Uh, she starts off, she's a thief, um, because she's 17, about to turn 18, and if she can raise enough money, she can save her and um, the boy she quite fancies from, from being conscripted into a war, which is... It's very 1984, and kind of, we have always been at war with Eurasia, kind of. Um, it, it's not sophisticated enough to be really compared to 1984 apart from the fact that it's dystopia and it's kind of that's the grand idea of dystopia so it's very watered down 
in that sense of things. Uh, even more watered down than the Hunger Games. If is. it's a dystopia, surely a lot of people are going to be criminals. Well, yes. Yeah. But the problem is, is that the place where there is, there is any money is full of superhumans. And these are superhumans that, for, for some reason, bleed silver, which still doesn't make any um, sense. But yeah. Um, ha- what? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, so that's not the worst of it. So the best place to get the best thieving is the most dangerous places. So so this girl is thieving in one of the most dangerous places because she's desperate. Um, she ends up getting her sister, who has a proper job, uh, her, her sister gets injured, she gets injured, everything starts going wrong. She she gives her sob story to this this barman. Um, the barman turns out to be a prince. Um, what? In, yeah. Um, and then she finds herself... This is all in the first 20 pages. Um, this... Uh, uh, and, then, and then she finds herself working in an arena for the elites, for the silvers. Um, there sounds like there's a lot going on here. There's an accident, and the accident almost kills her through electrocution, and she discovers she has superpowers. Uh, huh. And she discovers she has superpowers on national television, um, which is a slight problem, because people who have red blood aren't supposed to have superpowers. It's only it's only the Silvers who have superpowers, and they have a set series of superpowers defined by a series of series of slots. Uh, uh, all now, of the, all animals are equal. Some animals are more equal than others. Yeah, but again, that's that's giving it a lot more credit than it's due. Yeah. Um, what we have here is rather than having because all those elements sound great, and all those elements are a great bit, bit basis for a novel. Unfortunately, none of them are original. This is again when we, if we mention the Hunger Games, the selection, Graceling and Di- Divergent, yeah, it is a skillful blend, but it's it's not a cop, it's not a cut and paste. We're, we're not saying that. We're saying that someone has carefully studied the most popular books of the young adult genre, uh-huh. made extensive notes, used extremely competent and extremely skilled writing skills. That there, there is nothing wrong with Victoria Arviard's writing. It's solid, it's straightforward, it's an easy read. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing wrong with the writing. Mm-hmm. What there is, is the story just seems to be a patchwork doll of things that sell. It, there, there does seem like there's an awful lot in there. I was, sort of, I was sort of with it until you mentioned the prince, and now that just seems like a plot element too far. Oh, there's, there's two princes. Oh. Um, because obviously, because she has these superpowers, she's like, well, you can't possibly be a red, you have to be a silver. So the so the, the king declares that she's a silver instead from a lost bloodline. And then she's she's thrown in to be married to this other guy called Maven, who's, the, who's a younger prince. Uh, kind of the Prince Harry sort of thing. Thrown in, thrown in with this chap. And obviously there's... The, so there's the, the lad from the village she comes from that she kind of fancies... There's the, the the prince prince, and then there's me. You see, all I can think now is that song of two princes. Yes, it's a bit like that, except it's not at all. <laughs> um, this one, he wants to buy you rockets and also start a revolution. Um, so there's a there's an undercurrent of revolution because there's people who are angry that they're being oppressed. I don't actually know what the plot is. You you've spent like five minutes telling me about this book, and I don't know what the plot is. I don't understand. That's a good point. Okay, young girl realizes she has superpowers. Suddenly, she gets made made essentially an heir to the throne because that's how the society works. Mm. It's a dystopia. They're all ruled by cold and inhuman, superhuman type people. Um, she, who is from the wrong side of the tracks, gets thrown into this complicated world where she is expected to have um, these powers. 
and she's expected to behave a certain way, uh, and she's essentially being used as a stalking horse to, um, to, to flush out any potential revolutionaries. Right. So another way of describing it would be divergent meter vita. Again, oh. again, that's saying saying too much, and that's making it sound too good. It's really ugh. There is a standard young adult model, and the standard young adult model is: here is a girl who is special. Mm-hmm. Here is a girl who has who. Can I thought I thought it was here is a girl who doesn't think she's special and thinks she's ordinary, and she's not like other girls. Yes. Here is a girl who is not like other girls. Uh, somehow, however, every interesting male character who, who meets her instantly falls in love with her, and she doesn't realise her incredible potential. That, plus a dystopia, plus the Hunger Games, equals a movie deal. And, and um, I mean, good luck to her. Good luck to her, but uh, essentially, if you like Divergent, if you like the young adult, if you like Bitter Blue, if you like most of the stuff that Ninfa reviews on this show... Uh-huh. Um, and sadly, she's not here today. But if you like a lot of the stuff that sh- that, that she enjoys, um, you'll hate this. You really will, because you'll have read it all before. And the problem with this book is it's not that it's... This, uh, I, I had a look around, and there's some people who picked this up, and they were like, oh, I completely adore this, because it's all the things I love. If you don't want, like, being I mean, the title sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. It turned up in Bookworm Towers, and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Apparently, I was very wrong. I might be being horrendously harsh. I really... I, it, if you're a regular reader of young adult books, you'll recognise all the common elements. It has the futuristic dystopia under an impressive regime, outsiders disguised as an elite, and, of course, the main protagonist is a special girl with unique powers. The mix should be interesting and unique, but it just feels like a homogenous blob. It's like they're putting all these different flavours together, and you get something that's just a bit... Mm, it's not a bad book. The thing is, it's not a bad book. I've just read it before. Right. So it's retreading old ground. It really is a kind of scramble and a remix of stuff that's that we've seen Which there's before. not necessarily any problem with if you do it well. It, it's very competently put together, and I suspect it's going to be a big hit amongst its audience. It's just, it bored me. Is this one of those cases where you are just not the intended demographic? I'm not a huge fan of the genre. Do we think this, this, this review would be very different if Nympha was doing it? Nympha was doing it. I would be very interested to see. We're going to give it to our colleague Nympha and see what she say, says, see if she enjoys it. I didn't. And we might come back to Red Queen to see how it does um, through a different set of eyes. But... Oh, goodness me, I just, I, it's not I hated it, it's just that I felt meh all the way through because I'd seen all of this before, and, and all the various twists I could see coming a mile off. Mm. Um, but yes, if futuristic dystopias are your thing, if your adults, uh, adult fiction is your thing, if a strong female protagonist with more power than she could possibly understand, and all the boys fancy it, is her your thing... Um, and you haven't read a lot of young adult fiction, you'll adore it. Okay. If you if you've eaten everything, you know, if you've re- eaten all of Twilight, if you've eaten all of Hunger Games, if you've eaten all of Divergent, um, if you're into Graceling, you know, if you adored Bitter Blue, and that sort of thing, then this is for you. Um, if you're me and you're a grumpy, 40, almost forty-something <laughs> person who's read way too many books and just can recognise every single trope here. I'm not your target audience. So, so you know, 
Grumpy 40 year old men, stay away. 20 year old girls, you might enjoy this. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it for now. So where can we get this? Uh, <laughs> Should out, you fancy a read? If you fancy a read, it comes out in February. Uh, it's not out yet. Uh, like a lot of, because there's a lot of debut books coming out at the moment. Um, and the movie will probably be out in 2017. Okay. So apparently, according to my sources, which are probably wrong, but yes. So The Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard is available on Orion. Okay, thank you. the world 24 hours a day this is Fatboyian International so it, it's me again I'm afraid the info's not available uh, this week hopefully we'll see you next week and I want to talk to you about a comic book comic books and um, Except this is... They're a valid form of art, people. They're, they're an entirely valid form of art. It's a sequential art editor for Starburst magazine. Bias. Uh, I might be a little bit biased. Um, there's a thing about indie... Right. We, we, I love Borderline Press. Borderline Press are fab. Um, I mean that in a proper fab radio fab. Full on. They are ace. Um, they do all sorts of very strange and weird and wacky stuff. Um, and they can do that because they're an indie they're an indie publisher. So no one expects them to have million you know, no one expects them to do a Marvel Comics and sell a million copies of the first Star Wars comic book, which is what Marvel are about to do very shortly. No one expects them to be, you know, kind of big and impressive. So it allows them to get on with well, dare we say it, art. So they produce books that people want to read and people who aren't necessarily comic book fans, people who aren't necessarily the kind of people who will turn up dressed as Spider-Man to a convention will read. And we love the fact that people turn up to a convention dressed as Spider-Man or Deadpool. Um, you know, it's part of the back, it's the background noise of our lives. But we also love the fact that there are comic books out there for people who aren't into that sort of thing, people who you know, who are into Cory, people who are into just sitting down with their families and talking. And one of the books, one of the, the lovely books that Borderline Press produced recently, and it um, came out in Poland originally, then it came out in the UK, then it's been reprinted because it's done quite well. What is this book I hear you cry? It's called 566 Frames, and it's by Dennis Woodger. Um, artist and writer Dennis Woodger has created this beautifully simple book in 566 frames. Now I understand originally he wanted to do 366 or 365 frames like a frame for every day of the, a, a day of the week sorry every day of the year but uh, he couldn't quite fit the entire story in so he added the next 200 frames um, it, it's old, it's charming uh, it tells the story we, we start off, we, we meet the author and the author is still in the womb so the, the cover of the book is actually a, kind of a baby version of the author on the umbilical cord and we meet the author in the room and he's saying, I'm about to be born this is the story of my mother and he talks about the story of, of, of his mother then he talks about the story of his father then he talks about the story about his grandfather his grandfather's grandfather and then, you know, 
his grandmother and his other grandmother and his grandfather and then he kind of gets diverted a bit and talks about a cousin and then he talks about some other random family members. What we have in these 566 frames is a rambling story where this lovely bloke sits down and talks to you about the story about how he came to being. All the people who are responsible for his very existence and the completely crazy stuff because in our lives we've all done crazy stuff. So we have a story about a horse murderer, we have a story about a witch, we have a story about a guy who accidentally drug-busted Jimi Hendrix. Um, <laughs> and that's all in here? It's all in this one story. That sounds cool. And it's a whole blend of this guy's... You know, it's, it's all those... When you sit down with your family and you listen to their lives and you listen to all the stuff that people have got up to, and I can't tell if he's made it up. I can't tell if it's all true. I can't tell if this is, these are little family myths that have all been blurred into one. I don't care. It's marvellous. Um, the art style is absolutely fantastic as well. Very simple. Sometimes you can almost see the Sharpie, but they're very simple strokes. I, I sort of like that, though. It's, it's the um, art and animations thing of seeing the fingerprints on the, on the plasticine, isn't it? Yeah, you can, you can see how... Yeah, it's very straightforward. It's... it's uh, it's blue pencil and then it's uh, a sharpie, and he's very very good. And he, the art is, you know, sometimes sometimes he'll just do a very simple face, and sometimes you'll get, you know, oh, I'll draw draw for you St Petersburg, and you'll have one frame which is this at you St Petersburg, and you're like that's gorgeous, and the next one will just be a person grinning, and he, you know, he he layers these these frames and these stories together, so you have one frame. And that story tells literally a thousand words, almost. Um, don't write in about literally and figuratively, I'll just laugh at you. Uh, Oxford English Dictionary trains the definition, but anyway, moving on. Uh, and, and also, you, you have about, what, one or two lines per frame? And he does so much with so little. It's an absolute... I mean, I sat down, sat down, read it, it took me, what, about half an hour? But I'm free. You, you read freakishly fast. Um, or even freakishly fast but then I, I went straight back to it the following day to see what I'd missed and it's one of those books that we'll just keep going back to and going back to and going back to it's an education in sequential art as well if you're one of those people that thinks it's all about comic books and maybe you don't care really because it's another thing to think about but part somewhere in the back of your mind you're like oh, I should really you know, try and understand comics as art 566 frames is certainly a place to start. It's a it's an autobiographical comic. A lot of small press indie stuff is autobiographical because you, human lives are complex. Storytelling is complex. And the thing about sequential art is it allows you to tell complicated ideas in very simple ways. Have you ever wondered why so much, so many sequential art, so many comic books have these big fantasy worlds or these big science fiction worlds in them? Because actually they're quite big, complicated ideas. So using comic book art to convey, convey these things is a really good idea because you have infinite special effects, you have infinite budget. When you're doing something as simple as a human life, when you're doing something as simple as you know how a single person came into being and their lives... Well, actually, that sounds simple, but it's really complicated. Mm. Human lives are complicated things. And sequential art is perfect for biography. It really is, because it's also it's incredibly personal. Because the artist is also the author, 
every single you can you, you can see that you can't quite see the tears on the page but you can see you know the, the blood sweat and tears the actual the honest graft and work is on a, in every single frame who he is is there you you know this person I, I i felt like i could sit down and have a drink with dennis woodgett when i finished it yeah. and he would be like an old friend obviously not he has no idea who i am but if i wrote a book like that which i can't because i'm not that talented um then you know we'd be fine. It, it, it it's it's an amazing work. Um, it's being relaunched um, basically next month. You can get it right now via Borderline Press. Um, we've we've got a link to their um, website on our Facebook page. They've done some glorious stuff. I'm a big big fan. And it's it's absurdly cheap. If you want to just buy the download. Yes, exactly. You can get the download straight away. It's like two pound sixty. That's less than a Boots meal deal. It is less than a Boots meal deal, and it's definitely worth your time. If you've got like a tablet or some other... If for Christmas you've got some sort of fancy display device. Um, I, I kind of, weirdly, even though it's just black and even though it's just black and blue, I kind of do say that you should use colour. <laughs> you know, it, it's a black and white thing, but if you, know, you use a coloured display device, uh, read it on your, your, your fancy tablet, laptop, whatever, you, you will not be sorry. It's absolutely marvellous. Uh, totally adored it. I mean, all the stuff that borderline stuff. We'll probably get into Seth and Ghost at some point because Seth and Ghost is just weird. Um, and I'm a really soft touch for anything written by Terry Wiley, who's also one of the guys who gets published through them. Yeah, a brief, very brief look at their their Twitter feed and suggest that they do a whole tranche of slightly quirky stuff. It's slightly quirky. Some of it's autobiographical. Some of it's just bizarre. They are borderline are great. Um, 566 frames. I'm stunned. I'll be stunned if it doesn't get a long, complicated, and boring feature in the, the Guardian sometime soon. <laughs> Look at this new thing, comic Eastern Europe. Zap Powell comics are here. Yeah, they've been here for some time. Uh, I think you'll find that you know the Egyptians had a thing to do with sequential art. Anywho, moving on. Moving on. Um, Borderline Press, 566 frames. Do yourself a favour. Download it. It's only three quid. Two pound sixty. Two pound sixty, mm. less than three quid. Less than three quid. Um, and you know, you, you want a hard it. copy that's less than a tenner. Less than a tenner, and also you can read it on the toilet, which I, I find is the advantage of hard copies. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about all sorts of things and an examination of the world of books. <laughs> So I've been spending most of my uh, time when I've not been reading books and doing other exciting book-related stuff or writing for Starburst magazine, reading up on Terry Pratchett's Riches. Why have I been reading up on Terry Pratchett's Riches? Why have you been reading up on Terry Pratchett's Riches, Ed? Because I'm about to go on the Missing Monkey podcast. What's that, Ed? It's a quiz podcast, the Bookworm team, uh, (laughs) which will be myself, producer Al, and... um, of the, of the rest of the team, Dell volunteered, by which I mean everyone else stood Step back. back. Yeah. Uh, have, have decided to, to go on to this, this quiz. We've been invited to go on this quiz. 
<coughs> they, they, they laid down the challenge we accepted. Yeah. Because we're fools. If you happen to be in Manchester, it's recording this evening at uh, the Travelling Man on Dale Street. Doors open 6.30. We start recording at 7. It can only all go horribly wrong. I do get to see what we look like as well, and I can only apologise. You say that, I'm going to be hiding behind a hat or something. That's a good plan, mm. actually. So... Anyway, um, um, also, we'd like to just this is the bit where we talk about random stuff. Uh, so, Kickstarter publishing projects raised 22 million dollars in 2014. Um, two, uh, 22,252 Kickstarter projects reached their funding goals thanks to 529 million pound of pledges from 3.3 million backers. Publishing was the third most common type of project with 2,064 successfully funded ventures worldwide. Um, in the UK specifically, two two hundred and sixty one thousand seven hundred seventy one backers pledged thirty nine point one million dollars, which is twenty five point seven million pounds in in proper money to Kickstarter projects. Uh, the big one for the UK scene for this is probably the Jerry Anderson Thunderbirds continuation book. It's not a continuation. Oh, is it not a continuation? Sorry. Um, or, or is it the same universe? Ma- nope. No. Oh. It's right. Okay, I, I've read Gemini Force One. Uh, and we have an interview with Jamie and MG Harris uh, coming up soon for the show. It's absolutely, absolutely not a continuation of Thunderbirds. By the time you get to the third chapter, you're not whistling the theme tune, I promise you. Um, it, you really are. It's very similar. It's, the concept is very similar. It's about an international rescue force, but they're called Gemini Force One, not Thunderbirds. ITV owned the right to Thunderbirds, ah. not Jamie Anderson. Right, that's unfortunate. So, you know, that's worth bearing in mind while you're reading <laughs> Gem- Gemini Force One. Um, actually, slight spoiler for a future show, I really like Gemini Force One. It kind of fixes some of the things that, you know, it, it, you know how sometimes with storytelling, um, you get a story that is better than the story it's based on. You get a kind of a continuation. Yes, yes I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, Gemini Force One is very much an evolution of the idea of an international rescue agency, but does it in a slightly more modern way, does it in a slightly more switched-on way, and also has a really cool dog in it. Oh, uh, you I, like a really cool dog. I like a really cool dog. I'm a sucker for dogs, by the by. Uh, if, you, if you want to get a good review from me, just put a dog in it. Oh, I'm very happy. Uh, I'm like Greg from Master Chef with his pies. No, this, is, this is dessert. Dessert. Yeah, with, with desserts. I'm like Greg with desserts. If he, if he's a nice dog, then I'm a, I'm a sucker for dogs. Uh, moving on. Uh, libraries. Oh. We, we we went back through the uh, the bookseller website for new stories to talk about today, and they have got. Birmingham, um, hope, uh, with its central library being in problems. Staffordshire, with its mobile library service being in problems. Uh, Falkirk, with its school library service being in serious problems. Um, and it just seems to be everywhere. The, the slight positive news on the horizon is that James Patterson is this year throwing money at schools with, for library services. Um, but it's, it's, it's horrific out there. Um, I live up in Bolton, uh, and our local library is basically closed. They now do a thing where you can turn up once a week and collect your pre-ordered book. But if you don't know what you want because you want to go and browse on the shelves, you can only do that at the Central Library in Bolton. And woe forbid if you know, you're know you elderly or you work or you can't get out down the hill uh, that's quite steep to get to the Central Library. Meanwhile, people with their own agendas and interests are sitting there thinking, hmm, boy, there's no law that stops me from setting up my own library. 
and there, there are no other publicly available sources for education. Hmm. And you might be going, but Ed, the internet, surely the internet. No, not everybody has the internet. Not everyone has the internet. And also there's a difference between a safe, warm and dry place where you can sit and read. Um, uh, it's just such... I was, I was briefly talking yesterday when we had a production meeting. Who knew? Um, about Manchester Central Library, which they have recently spent an enormous amount of cash on. Um, and they've redone the whole thing and sort of opened up the architecture and, and all the rest of it. Um, and I was saying to you, you know, you used to walk in before they refurbed it. And on one side was the business library and on the other side was sort of essentially the general reader's library, your common or garden high street library. Um, and now the general reader's library has moved down into the basement and been given a new name. The business library has disappeared to, uh, effectively entirely sort of in, into the back of the city library downstairs in the basement there's no books on the fo- on the ground floor there's a huge area for, for doing uh, archive research there's a little cafe there's a rolling thing of, of interesting displays which are interesting but there's not a book for love and money you go up to the first floor where the huge um, central reading room is and um, there's no librarians they the library desk is still there because it's a glorious architectural feature but they have severed it from the rest of the library you used to see the librarians disappearing down the stairs uh, to go and get things from the stacks that physical connection has gone there's no librarians in there it's an open workspace there's books around the shell around the walls on the outside but they're all kind of really old copies of hansard and and technical journals and stuff Um, there's a music library on that floor on the side um, but it's basically not the, the next floor up is meeting rooms it's the fourth floor before you get to the reference books the fourth floor up a lot of stairs or in a lift wow and don't get me wrong, it looks marvellous. It looks glorious. It looks lovely. But they've sort of hidden away the books as if they're slightly embarrassed about them. And it angers me. The thing is, I mean, we were you went to see Cory Doctorow talking about mm. e-books and e-readers. And there's lots of people running around going, well, but what about technology? Technology will... No. You can't put DRM on a book. Yeah. Can't put DRM in a book. As much as and and Corey was saying, you know, as soon as somebody offers to put DRM on something, it's not for your protection. It's not for your protection as the author or the publisher. It's for the protection of the people who are physically manifesting it onto your e-reader. Yeah, and they, and they, they were saying, you know, once you put DRM on, as the person who made whatever work it is, you can't get that taken off, even if you want to. It's control of information, mm. and it's it's wanting to control information. And the, there's, there's only one reason you'd want to control people's information. It's because you want to control what they think. Um, and the glory of books and the glory of reading is being able to explore new worlds. It's about, about being able to explore your imagination. Mm. And you should be concerned about anyone who's scared of that. Yeah. So Staffordshire, which is a large rural area, is looking about losing most of its rural mobile library services, which make 800 stops a week. Birmingham is looking at its, its flagship building, which only opened in September 2013, losing half its staff, losing almost 50% of its opening hours and potentially becoming an outpost of the British Library in London, which would be lovely, but it does appear to be a slightly desperate way to uh, survive. And Falkirk is looking like scrapping its entire school library service, which also reaches out to literacy programmes and the NHS, and I think um, there's a hint that it does stuff with prisons as well, but I might be wrong on that. The the consultancy on that finished yesterday, which they managed to have sneaked in via the, over the Christmas period when nobody was really looking. A lot of these library consultancies have been happening over the Christmas period. That they really have, and it's just immensely short-sighted. I've read some of the studies um, that have proved that we don't need libraries. <laughs> frankly, they're written by idiots. 
Um, they're written by idiots who've been commissioned to come up with a particular worldview in a particular way um, and don't understand the broader picture. They've asked very, very specific questions. I have, yeah, I, I have answers. a suspicion if you asked any best-selling author, especially a British best-selling author at the moment, they would tell tales of a childhood spent in the back of the stacks reading anything that fell off the shelf. Oh, except for the guy who wrote horrible histories, but frankly... Yeah, whatever. whatever. Um, The guy who came up with Coronation Street, which I know uh, Ed has a particular bit of a nemesis about, but the guy who came up with Coronation Street spent his teenage years sneaking into Manchester Central Library and sitting in the reference stacks and reading all the books. And I did the same thing when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, my, my parents would kill me if they'd known that I'd sneaked into Manchester the big dangerous city, on my own at the age of 14 and then done the very rock and roll rebellious thing of sitting in a library. But that's what I did. I spent my school holidays doing that for about four years. I used to I used to walk down to South Townside Library because um, I'm a Geordie. I uh, walked right down to South Townside Library and firstly, discovering discovering all the newspapers down in the basement somewhere was a fantastic thing. Oh, yeah. And going through the local local history. Then discovering the reference section, completely ignoring the the children's section, which was guarded by a series of trolls. Um, <laughs> it always was, yeah. And instead, going into you know the more adult sections and having a look at various bits and pieces. Um, and I can remember, I can remember quite early on in in my young adulthood, someone going, "Ed, you've had a classical education," and I'm like, "No, I haven't." And they were like, but, but you must have studied the classics. And I went, no, I haven't. And they were like, but you but know the classics. And I'm like, that's because I went to the library every Saturday uh, and read all the classic books that were there because, you know, you couldn't actually take them out with you because some of them were great and some of them were huge and <laughs> like huge pages and they were exciting. Mm. Anyway, we should move on because we have one minute left to talk about what we got for Christmas. Oh, um, I got books. Could you be more specific? No, I got some Terry Pratchett books. Um, you got Raising Steam. I got Raising Steam. I also, I also, gentle listener, I got an e-reader. And it's, <sighs> it's like having a library in my bag. Um, it means that my back slightly hurts slightly less these days because I used to carry a library in my bag. And now I carry an e-reader. Do you know what's really bad about that? What? I want to get another e-reader so I can hand it out to people. Why, why do you need to? <laughs> so I can give one, so I can lend it. <sighs> physically lend it because I like I'm, ra- I'm rather sure that's that's against the entire spirit of e-readers uh, yeah uh, I got Mrs Bradshaw's handbook which is the Discworld Mickey take of uh, Bradshaw's Railway Guide uh, which is very exciting because I actually have Bradshaw's Railway Guide in a reprint uh, so this is the Ankh Morpork Railroad version which I look forward to immensely uh, and I also got Inspector Colbeck's Casebook 13 Tales from the Railway Detective which is an anthology thing um, which also looks terribly, terribly exciting. Um, I should hope we'll be reading those in a few... Uh, have we run out of time? Yes. Okay, <laughs> we, we better flee. So, um, thank you for listening. It's a good night for me.